Welcome to Breaking the Underdog Curse for Chiropractors. I'm your host, Dr. Don McDonald, author of the best-selling book, The Underdog Curse. We give vitalistic chiropractors a chance to learn from the best around the world, discovering how they overcame their challenges and achieved success. In order for chiropractic to thrive, we must have thriving chiropractors. Now listen up, it's time to crush the curse. Well, hello everybody and welcome to another episode of Breaking the Underdog Curse for, we were calling it the Vitalistic Chiropractor. We might be changing it to the Salutogenic Chiropractor or the Neurologically Based Chiropractor. And with our next guest that we're gonna be talking with today, we might talk a, a little bit about why we might be changing that name. But uh, it's not to discredit what we've been doing, but maybe just to, to help move our cause a little bit more forward. So I'm super excited to interview Dr. Craig Hazel, who graduated from Parker in 2004. He practices in Ottawa, and he's the current president of the AFC, which is the Alliance for Chiropractic in, uh, in, in Ontario, and eventually, hopefully, we can make it Canada. So welcome to the podcast, Dr. Craig. Thanks, Don. I'm super excited to be here. I, uh, I applaud you for everything that you've accomplished with the podcast and all the interviews uh, that you've done up to date. So it's, uh, I'm excited to be here. Yeah, this is, this is fun. So I get to be in, in my home country because we, we, we do, I like to crisscross around the globe so we can get a little bit of different perspective of what chiropractic like, like is all around the world. And, and, and just, you know, recently what's going on in Canada, we have a little bit more of a, this will be some of your story and then we'll get a little bit maybe more political and what's going on in Canada. So not only Canadians who listen to this podcast can, can learn from it, but then people also from other countries can learn from it too, because everybody kind of has to band together if we want to keep our brand of chiropractic still surviving. Right. Yeah, absolutely. So just to start off though, just to get a little bit uh, more familiar with Dr. Craig and how did you even find out about chiropractic in the first place? So uh, my story begins in university where um, uh, when I was at the end of my second year in university, I injured my shoulder uh, lifting weights. I was in the gym. My last exam had finished. I went downstairs and started working out and uh, in the middle of a uh, set of dumb incline dumbbell bench press, I ended up feeling a pop in my shoulder and immediately I couldn't lift my arm up past my waist. <clears throat> now at the time I was also the trainer for the men's hockey team at Queens and going through, I had learned how to rehabilitate shoulders. I had done sports medicine um, and therapies and rehabilitation. And so for the next nine weeks I started trying to rehabilitate my shoulder and I wasn't getting anywhere. And it was a colleague of mine now that uh, was a dear friend who said, hey, why don't you go check out chiropractic and uh, go see a chiropractor? And I said, well, why would I do that? I don't have back pain. I don't have neck pain. Um, to, to put it into perspective, I was one of the biggest skeptics of chiropractic at the time. Yeah. And, uh, you know, in my path and my journey through education, I wanted to go to, into sports medicine. I wanted to scope knees and I wanted to uh, be a sports medicine physician. And at that time, um, after nine weeks of, of not getting anywhere with rehabilitation, somebody said, you know what, those nerves that are coming from your neck to your shoulder may be interfering with how well your body's uh, continually starting to get that shoulder to heal and heal properly. So why don't you go check it out? You got nothing to lose. So I said, yeah, okay, I'll go check it out. So I went and uh, Mike Reed was my chiropractor. And um, oh, cool. Yeah, I met Mike and he took me through a thorough assessment. He showed me that I had lost the normal cervical curve in my neck. And uh, long story short, I started getting adjusted. And within about five weeks, I was still having trouble lifting my shoulder. 
But the thing that I didn't tell Mike about was that I had been dealing with post-concussion syndrome for almost two and a half years at that point. Mm. Um, my last one was at the age of 17 and I was out cold before I even hit the, hit the, uh, the soccer pitch. Um, that was my seventh or eighth concussion at that point, And by far it was the worst. Um, I had dealt with, uh, chronic migraine headaches, constant challenges with dizziness, challenges with vestibular issues like driving in a car. I had issues with mood and sleep and, um, uh, you name it, like all of the classic kind of post-concussive type of, uh, of problems. Mm-hmm. And for the first time in almost two and a half years, I was consistently without a headache and clear-minded, able to sleep. I felt like my appetite was coming back. Um, it was such a profound change that I stopped Mike at the end of one of my adjustments and I said, I need to talk to you about something. And so I proceeded to talk to him for almost a half an hour about applying to chiropractic college and I wanted to know more. And um, so I, uh, I applied to CMCC and I was denied. Uh, I had a really good, uh, I had a really good interview, but my essay wasn't very good. So I uh, went back to my fourth year in university and continued my education and then reapplied again and I was denied again, this time because my essay was good but my interview was not. And I think that's because I spoke philosophy actually in my interview. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> and uh, subsequent to that, I, I decided, you know what, I, I was working as a personal trainer and uh, just a, a happen of, happenstance of fate, I met Pauline So, um, who is a fantastic chiropractor here in Ottawa, and uh, I told her that I had been applied to CMCC twice and I had been denied, and she said, well, why don't you go check out Parker in the States? And I said, well, it's too far, the dollar's sixty. I'm not yeah, doing that. Totally. <laughs> She's like, just go check it out. So I ended up applying and I was conditionally accepted par- uh, with uh, just getting a couple of prerequisites in line. And um, uh, my wife and I at the time were still dating, but I took a return flight from Ottawa to Dallas. I think it was one of the last return flights they ever offered out of, um, out of Ottawa direct. And we got the flight for 200 bucks. We flew down and met Fab Mancini, got a tour of the school. Uh, we had uh, found an apartment and my wife got offered three jobs in the span of 12 hours. Um, wow. So two weeks later, I was on a Greyhound bus with $1,500 in my pocket, three boxes of everything I owned, and uh, driving down to Dallas, Texas to start my chiropractic college uh, education. Um, 46 hours on a Greyhound bus. So I can tell you probably a good 45 <laughs> minutes of stories just uh, of that experience. So what does your wife do? She is a registered nurse. Oh, she okay. Is, um, since the day she graduated, she has worked in neurosciences, and uh, she spent a good part of her career there. When she was pregnant with our daughter, um, she found the workload really heavy, so uh, they ended up getting a, an opportunity to transfer into thoracic um, ENT, okay. and uh, she is... Uh, uh, my wife is brilliantly compassionate when it comes to helping families or individuals when they're going through a, a crisis like that. So um, mm. she's perfectly matched for that part, for the, uh, for the caring side. So well, that's cool. So yeah. you, you get off the long, huge bus ride and you get to, <clears throat> get to uh, down to Dallas. Um, how was your experience at, 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 at College of Chiropractic School? 
Uh, it was awesome. I um, Right out of the gate, I wanted to get involved and I jumped in to um, put my name in the hat for class president um, and uh, did that for probably the first three terms, I guess, of our, our trimesters, I should say. Mm-hmm. Um, it was awesome. So I got integrated really well. I got to uh, integrate into uh, and just have some really good conversations with uh, Gene Giggleman, the uh, Dean of Academics there. Um, Fab Mancini, I got to know a lot of them. I got to kind of know a lot about the school and just helping the students and interacting with the uh, the staff and faculty. Mm-hmm. Um, but my experience at Parker, you know, at, at that time, Parker was um, was leading the charge. I mean, they were doing some incredible things. Fab would turn the school into uh, quite the dynamo with the Parker seminars and yeah. um you know, we were just getting a lot of new new student attraction, and uh, the school was really, really thriving at the time. So I, I was very fortunate to be there at that time when uh, when everything was going that way. So did you go to time. did you go to quite a few of the Parker seminars? <clears throat> oh, I was a seminar junkie. Like I went to everything, <laughs> and I I didn't say no to anything. So it was Parker seminars, or it was a you know, six of us stuffing into a car and driving to Atlanta for uh, uh, WLP seminar, or it was down to Austin to shadow a chiropractor in his practice for the day and then listen in on his doctor's reports and uh, spend the weekend going through some training. Um, you name it. Like if there was something going on at on campus, if it was ICPA or uh, anything, AK, um, yes. I, was there. I was trying to take it all in as much as I possibly could. And I think that's uh, to, to a huge benefit for me. I think it's because it's given me a lot of perspectives of the spectrum of chiropractic that has um, served me well in terms of just, you know what, really caring for patients. Like it's, it's nice when you've got something in your toolbox that you can go back to and utilize when something just doesn't fit the usual in your practice when you're seeing when you're seeing uh, patients and practice members. And um, so, yeah, I was, uh, I, I wouldn't change anything in terms of my path at all. Now, when you were at school, did you get um, uh, any kind of exposed to, you know, that, that little bit of, well, the little bit of divide in the profession (laughs) between uh, pain-based chiropractic care and more like neurologically based chiropractic care? Like, did you kind of get exposed to that when you're in school? For sure. So every, uh, on one we had Wednesday assembly. So once a month, we had a guest speaker who would come in and the entire school would congregate into the auditorium and we would listen um, to the speaker. So on, I kid you not, one back-to-back, we had John Triano, who was at the time the head of the Texas Back Institute. And then the next month was Reggie Gold. And so, <laughs> you, you, you know, you couldn't get further from the ends of the spectrum. Yeah, <laughs> um, and it was good because it helped us to appreciate uh, just how diverse you can be in practice, um, and you could see how narrow that you would like to focus your practice, or you could see how wide you'd want it to be. Right. And um, so, yeah, I, I mean, I don't know if there's any better example of did I get to see uh, the the vastness and the and I think that's one thing that Parker did really well is they never wanted you to think one way they wanted you to find your own path mm-hmm. um, to maybe a, a point it could be confusing at times because you could get pulled in different directions and maybe not draw a, um, a definitive um, decision of where you wanted to be but uh, yeah I would say that the divide 
if you will. Um, I guess the stratification of the of the profession was visibly seen when you were at Parker. So, which was kind of nice then, because they didn't ban anybody from your school to speak because they didn't want to like withhold information from you as a student. No, and I, I think that's to Fab's credit is that he wanted you to um, see chiropractic for everything and find your own path, make your own decisions where you wanted to be in that uh, continuum. Um, so I thought it was, uh, I thought it was really good. Now, who, who are some of the people in school that kind of stuck out for you that had the biggest impact on you as you're going as a student? Oh, that's a great question. Uh, I would say, <clears throat> um, Dr. Wiederman, who was, uh, he had actually taught us some philosophy, but he also taught us some, <clears throat> excuse me, Thompson and upper cervical. He had practiced for years in chiropractic and had a very successful, uh, family directed practice. Um, I had some really good long conversations about what life is like outside of school with him. Mm -hmm. Um, Dr. Tom Redenbaugh, who was, uh, he was, he, Tom is one of those amazing chiropractors that just wants to be masterful in every technique. And, yeah. uh, the one massive thing that he taught me is, you know, sometimes Craig, you're going to have to shout and sometimes you're going to have to whisper. And when it comes to adjusting, you just got to determine which is which and when is when. Um, and, uh, that's always stuck with me. And it's something that I continue to uh, reflect on almost every single day in practice. Um, you know, I had some really deep conversations with Fab in his office. You know, I, he was such an open uh, door policy that if you just knocked on his door and he had time for you, yeah, he would, he would sit and chat with you. And I remember having conversations with him for over an hour in the middle of the day when he's, you know, as busy as he was. Yeah. Um, he would just love to talk chiropractic and, and just sit and chat. Um, so, uh, yeah, I think those are the... Uh, the big standouts and of course clinicians and other thing, other people that really helped to kind of shape me and get me uh, ready for, for practice. I'd say those are some of the big ones for sure. Cool. Now, so you graduate in 2004 and, um, and so did you just come straight back to Ottawa and did, how, how did that start? Did you start off an associate or how did you start practice? Oh, that's, so that's, uh, that's a great um, segue. So when I finished, my wife had just um, finished a research paper that she did. Um, at the time, she was working in an epilepsy monitoring unit, and she had published a paper on uh, caring for patients um, in the epilepsy unit. And so she had to present that. So she had to wait about five or six months before she had to present. So that was in December of 2004. So I graduated in May, and I worked in Rob Vasquez's office. Um, for about seven months as his exam doctor. So Rob was, uh, had a really awesome family-based practice at the time, and uh, he was just on the cusp of blowing it open and, and just bursting with, uh, with growth. And so um, I worked there with him for about seven months, and then we decided we wanted to come back to Canada. I mean, I had some wonderful opportunities to stay in the States. Mm -hmm. um, and associate down there if I wished and uh, but family was calling us home um, yeah. so we uh, we made our way back home <clears throat> and when I got here so you got to think in the timeline here December 2004 OHIP the Ontario Health uh, Insurance Plan had delisted chiropractic from its coverage as a result of that the banks had pulled back on all of their funding of chiropractors because the number of um, 
bankruptcies and defaults on loans was growing quite high. So wow. you got to think like 33% of the chiropractors were in default of loans um, as a result of the OHIP delisting. Now, for those of you that don't know, OHIP only covered you for about 150 bucks a year. But when a chiropractor was charging $34.95 for an adjustment, and so, or sorry, $34.65, $34 and OHIP was picking up $9.65 per adjustment. And when those chiropractors had to go back to their patients and say, okay, now it's $35, not $25, patients were pushing back and a lot of them saw a decline in their visits. And so again, that certainty, that communication, that um, uh, understanding of, of the importance and value in the adjustment was extremely uh, visible there. So when I went to the banks, they said, sorry, no mas, we have, uh, we're not funding chiropractors anymore because of the, um, the history. Um, the best we can do is give you $10,000. And um, I said, well, that's probably not even going to get me a table. Um, <laughs> so I had to look at alternate uh, means to get started in practice. So just by, again, twist of fate, um, Dr. Pauline So had uh, just been going through uh, a change in her office. And so she invited me to come and practice with her for um, to get started. And um, she wasn't really looking for like an IC or anything like that, but it just so happened that she and I really had a, a, a good relationship. We had kept in touch all the way through Parker. And so uh, I started in her practice and I was there for two years. Um, things changed with her. She met a fantastic guy. They got married and he moved into the office and practices with her today. And I moved out to uh, Canada. And then the timing was that I had just recently lost my mother. Um, and as a result of her death, I actually took money from the estate and opened up my current practice where I am now and have been for uh, what's now 12 years, I guess. So, um, uh, yeah, so I, I started off as a kind of <clears throat> into, an, uh, into an IC position forcefully and uh, happily. And then by the time I was finished, I ended up moving out and into my own office. And I've been in my own office since. I just operate out of 1,200 square feet. I got two staff and uh, having fun, seeing lots of families, lots of kids, lots of just great people that want to get adjusted because they know it's good for them. So, uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, that's awesome, right? It doesn't sound like yeah. too much to ask. That's perfect. So, yeah. um, so, you know, we got some, we got listeners that are watching this podcast that, you know, just either maybe be stagnant in practice or just starting out. What kind of things did you do at the beginning? Just like when you start from zero, like how, how did you, how did you start to build and get people in the door? Cause that's the number one thing you got to do at the beginning in that building phase is getting people in the door. Yeah, and um, so when I first started, I was doing screenings three out of four weekends a month for the first 14 months. Um, yeah, wow. I was everywhere. So <clears throat> now in our town, the only screening kind of really the only locations where, you know, events would be um, home shows, the women's show, the garden show, the cottage show, they were all 25 kilometers away from my office. So I was traveling into town farther away from my radius uh, of my office um, and closer to the central part of Ottawa. And, you know, I was, you know, I'd, I'd, I'd meet people there and I'd invite them into the office and it, it was a lot of single hits. It wasn't like, you know, I, it was just a lot of just meeting people and slowly but surely 
um, we were we were getting and seeing people coming into the office. Um, so I did that for a good 14 months. It wasn't like the most cost and energy efficient uh, use, but at the time there wasn't really other options. We um, we would split the booth with two other offices, and we would just book geographically. Yeah, um, and it worked out really really well for for that in terms of the uh, camaraderie and the. Uh, experience that we gained from all of that um, <clears throat> and then it just became to the point now where you know we're we're I just checked our numbers for last year and we're almost 90% referral so yeah. we get referrals from uh, massage therapists and we actually get referrals from MDs uh, yeah. that's not an uncommon thing in our office yeah um, we get referrals from other um, chiropractors we get referrals from uh, our patients and uh, people in the community that we've got to know over the years um, so it, it's continued to be just a, a constant you know infusion of people into the office that uh, we take care of and then some of those folks stick around some of those folks I always say like it's uh, I think it's Ed Cork I had the uh, analogy it's like I'm on the wellness bus and and some people are going to get on and stay a while and some people are just going to have a short stop and that's yeah. how we serve. That's how we've chosen to serve people is like, you know, what are your goals and how can we help you meet them? And um, some people want to stay on the bus for a long time and some people don't. And that's cool. But we have um, a really good um, reputation in the, in the uh, community where people feel honored and they feel validated. So when it's time for them to come on back in, it's, uh, it's always a good reunion and we get right back down to work and help them out again. So. That's interesting. Now I, I noticed because when you, when you talk about massage therapists and medical doctors and other things, those are kind of referral hubs. Did you did you actually uh, go out of your way to try to connect with those, or uh, how did you how did you get um, or or forge those relationships with those professionals? Interestingly, actually, the MD ones have happened organically from my patients going back to them and telling them the changes, differences, improvements that they've seen, mm -hmm. and then they've heard that consistently enough that now they feel confident to um, send some of their, their, you know, patients that they're struggling to get a change with right. um, over to see us. So that's that side. Massage therapists. Yeah. I've done quite a bit of networking with uh, some of the massage therapists in the community. Mm -hmm. um, explaining what it is that we do, how we do it, why we do it and look at the changes that we see. Um, and so they're always, uh, uh, I guess, you know, as a referral source, they like having the confidence that they're going to be well taken care of. So it always looks good on the uh, referrer when you do that. So, um, uh, yeah. And then I think the other ones, just again, patients and practice members, um, you know, when we, when, when they come in and they see that we've got a very professional um, examination process and that we take the time to explain them uh, the results and what's going on with them and answer their questions. Um, I think that's one of the things that we pride ourselves in our office is that we want to be in the highest level of integrity that we possibly can. And we really want to make sure that people know exactly what it is that we're doing before we do anything with them. Um, education is huge. And uh, yeah. years ago, um, Steve Franson told me, he's like, you know what? The, the money that people pay you for their adjustment is, is the adjustments free. The rest of it is tuition to help them learn how to live a healthier, better life. So, um, yeah, that's how we operate is that we want to give people education on things that they can do for themselves inside and outside of the office, how they can take care of themselves and their families. And, um, chiropractic is a huge asset for that. So. 
That's cool. Now, moving on into practice, you kind of, you know, once you got things rolling, did you ever get, um, have you ever been burnt out in practice or got, or kind of like burnt the candle at both ends a bit? Uh, oh, big time. So <laughs> I always laugh because I'm like, yeah, pretty much everybody. And, yeah. and just what it was and, and how did you get back on track? So at different times and, you know, someone told me once there's seasons within your practice, right? And I would definitely agree to that. Now that I've been in practice 14 years, I'm starting to see and, and understand that um, quite, uh, quite a bit. So especially after, um, again, I was the seminar junkie. Yep. Well, that didn't, that didn't go away. I didn't cleanse that uh, out of my system. Um, so in the early years, I was still going to quite a few seminars and traveling quite a bit. And when the kids were small, um, I started noticing that as I was taken off and going down the runway, I was like, I don't want to leave. Like, let me off. I just, I don't want to go. And I would go because I knew that I was going to get something out of the seminar. I was going to bring it back. I was going to grow. And I kept pushing and kept pushing and kept pushing and kept pushing. And it wasn't until I actually got a real good, um, effort of heavy lifting and asking myself, what is it that I really truly want? That I realized that I was driving and pushing towards somebody else's ideal, not my own. Mm. And that I needed to step back and figure out for myself exactly what that was for me. Um, you know, you hear all these, I want to see 500 a week. I want to see a thousand. I want to see 200. Yeah, it's yeah, yeah. all in the eye of the beholder. So when you get down to uh, really doing the heavy lifting and figuring out exactly what your beliefs are, what your actions are, what your results are, and then determining how uh, far away you are from that. Um, what makes you happiest? What makes you uh, excited? So yeah, there was a period of time there where I was getting burnt out chasing something I didn't actually want. And mm -hmm. I never had the, took the time to stop and actually ask myself, what is it that you want? Not what someone else wants, but what do you want? And so um, as I've done that, practice is a lot more enjoyable and fulfilling and happier. And I don't spend nearly as much time traveling as I did because I really do reflect on the time that I had missed with the kids and, and things like that. Mm -hmm. um, so I think I've got a different perspective that way, a different maturity. The other, the other thing I would say is that I was going to a lot of seminars and it was the jacuzzi experience. Like it, it felt yeah. good when you were in there, yeah. but then when you got home and you just kept going around doing the same thing, it's like, why am I spending the money and the time, the energy? It's, it's, it's disrespectful to myself. It's disrespectful to the person that's teaching me the information. Mm. Um, it came down to, all right, pal, you better just crack open your books put the pedal to the metal and just look at what you're actually doing and not doing and just call yourself out on it. Um, so when I started to implement some of those things and, and really, you know, everybody tells you, Oh, you got to do your day one this way or your day two that way. I actually sat down and wrote out my day one and my day two, what works for me. And I tested it and I didn't like things and I change it and I tweak it. Nice. Um, and uh, now it's my own. So it's, it's who I am. I don't have to feel false and saying anything and, and I can, I can just be me. So, um, uh, that's been, that's been refreshing, but yes, I would say that burnout, um, uh, uh, I, I'm going to even say boredom at times because yeah. sometimes, sometimes you see the same things over and over and over again and you almost feel like you're not being challenged, but, um, uh, for me, if I ever find myself wandering too much, um, uh, Reggie Gold's always been my, uh, uh, 
the writer of the ship for me. He's, you know, I just dive into some, some philosophy stuff with Reggie and uh, (laughs) I, I swear I've listened to his Valley of the Blind talk probably a hundred times. It's uh, for me, it's one of the most poignant chiropractic talks I think in history. And um, it's, it's truly remarkable. Just little bits that I get out of that every time I listen to it. So, and that's called just for listeners. What's that called again? Just if they wanted to look it up. Uh, the Valley of the Blind. Okay, with, with Reggie Gold. Now, this is really interesting because I've, I've noticed this too working with chiropractors. It's, it's funny because as a student, when you go to school, you are downloading everything. So you have to just you know download what people tell you what to do. And then when you get into practice, uh, we never really learned how to grow our practice in school. And so then you need to go to seminars or you get coaches or something like that, which tell you how to grow your practice at the beginning. And then there has to be that transition where you need to do exactly what you said is we need to switch because we're, we're kind of, you know, doing a hundred percent, um, downloading or consuming, um, content in school. And then you, you maybe do like 10% of, 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 of producing when you're in student clinic. And then when you get into early clinic, you're still downloading a lot of stuff. And it's kind of cool because there's that transition where you need to process it and make it your own right. so that we're now only doing 20% of, of, of consuming and now yeah. we're doing 80% of production. So that's kind of a lot of people we work with. We try to switch We try to get that flip. So you're actually producing more than you're consuming. Yeah. Yeah. No, that makes total sense. Um, you can, you can consume and consume and consume and <laughs> like pretty soon you, you got to do something. So actually, what is it? Actions, uh, beliefs without action is futile. So, um, it, it's, you've got to do something in order to make it happen. So, well, on that topic, on doing something, um, the next phase we always talk about is just, you know, is, is contributing or, or leadership. And I know a lot of people who I've interviewed who said leaders, they said, well, I didn't really want to be a leader. Like, that's not my goal, but that's not, that's not kind of what I'm getting to. Um, uh, there's a point where I think even in school, you wanted to help contribute to a bigger cause by being like class president. I did that with being president of the Canadian club at Palmer and then the vice president of the hockey team at Palmer. And, you know, you get those people who just like to, to, to do a little bit of extra. So how, how did your leadership start um, as far as like the profession in Ontario started? Uh, <clears throat> so Steve Silk, who was the chairman of the Chiropractic Awareness Council, uh, had approached me and um, asked if I'd be interested in becoming a director. Now that was probably, geez, I don't even know what, when that was, probably about five years ago, I guess. And... Um, the CAC was one of those organizations that I was a member of. Um, Truthfully, admittedly, you know, I was a member out of, uh, I wouldn't say obligation, I would say out of what I felt was right, because they needed a voice for um, chiropractic and a neurological model in Ontario. And uh, the CAC was one of the ones that resonated with me more than any other association. And so, um, at the time, I had been a member for about four years at, up to that point. And so when Steve approached me, I said, yeah, like, I'd love to uh, contribute and help out. And, um, you know, Patrick Gentempo, who was a, uh, another mentor of mine, he had said, you know, it's not a point at which, um, uh, if you'll ever become political, it's just a matter of when. Everybody has to take, uh, you know, take a turn at some point. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I served as a director for almost uh, three, I guess, three, three and a bit years. Um, and at the time, the CAC 
was going through a bit of a transition. Some of the, uh, the folks on the council were Steve Silk and Bob Pike and John Rennix, um, who had served for many years and, and done a, just an amazing job of keeping the organization going and growing and you know, just uh, really having some, some effect at, uh, in our CCO level. Uh, that's our college regulatory body. And so um, <clears throat> it was time to transition those guys out and try to continue on with the, the new path. So um, I took the chair position almost two years ago. I guess it'll be two years in April. And one of the things that I had uh, come to uh, the table with was uh, the brand equity that the CAC had. Now, in the history of the CAC in 1998, when it was formed, right out of the gate, they had almost 700 members. Um, and within about a year, uh, they had dwindled down to about 200 because the ambitions and the direction of where we wanted to go with the organization wasn't really too certain. And, um, they wanted, some wanted it to be a media, public media relations, uh, venture where they were going to do some public education. Some wanted it to be more of a political watchdog. Um, it became a little bit of both and it really didn't have the strong effect that we had hoped. So, um, it continued along and, um, uh, what we had realized is that there's so many people in chiropractic that think the way that you and I do, and they, they believe that chiropractic is neuro, chiropractic is neurology or it's nothing. Um, they believe that neurology is an important part and aspect of chiropractic and it needs to be retained, but yet they're still not on our team in terms of membership within the CAC. So, you know, one of the common things was, I don't know what you guys do. Do you don't seem to really accomplish much, et cetera. And so we came back to the table with that and we said, well, we've got a bit of a negative brand equity that we need to clean up. So why don't we go ahead and rebrand and reorganize and restructure some of the directives that we wish to accomplish as an organization. And so that's been in over the last, um, we launched it in November of 2016. So yeah, we're coming up on two years now. So, um, we are uh, thriving. We're seeing growth in uh, in our membership. We're seeing a recapture of some of the old members that uh, lost their their vision for it and, and what we were about. And they're also scooping up a whole bunch of the young graduates that are coming in, not only from uh, Canadian-based schools, but also U.S. and, and foreign-trained schools. So um, we're seeing growth that way. And uh, as we continue to move forward, um, you know, we, we've stood in, in many ways to stand up to detractors from outside the profession that wish to take, uh, um, as we said, blatantly libelous shots against uh, chiropractors that practice, um, you know, in a, in a neurological model. Um, and we've also had some really good conversations with the college regulatory board. They've really uh, welcomed us back into the conversation. Um, we've really done well to create some uh, relationships there that help us to have uh, the voice and position heard of our members that gives, um, gives, gives volume to it. Um, you know, in the early infancy of the organization, that probably wasn't being heard because we were yelling so loud that they couldn't hear us. Um, well, I was just, I was just going to say, um, just for people who are listening that might not be familiar yeah. in, in Canada, just in general and in, in all the provinces you have, like a, we call it a college. So it's not actually chiropractic college. 
but that's what our regulatory board is. And then you have yes. your association. <clears throat> and, and so I think the whole reason that the CAC started is because the, the Ontario Chiropractic Association wasn't standing up for the, what the beliefs are of the neurologically based chiropractors. And, and that was, that's why it was formed in the first place, right? Just to give chiropractors an option to be able to be part of <clears throat> either one. Yeah, and, and funny enough, the um, the OCA, the Ontario Chiropractic Association, actually had some very um, pro-neurological content that they had published, and whether it would be brochures or posters or, but it was probably about 20 or 25 years ago that the decision had been made to start to move more towards a um, musculoskeletal focus, back pain, neck pain, et cetera. So mm -hmm. I would say that um, that transition also started to spark a reason why the CAC was formed because we just didn't feel like we were losing a bit of the essence of what chiropractic was in terms of its original foundings and you know the adjustment and the subluxation and the neurology of it all. We wanted to make sure that that, uh, that was retained and captured. So. Yeah, and I think because what we've noticed just in, in Canada, and this is around the world too, is that when you have the main organizations that are really the dominant factor is MSK, um, you know, part of us, we want to go in there and try to help to change the organization. But I know a lot of chiropractors in Alberta who've tried to do that. They almost like die in the process because mm -hmm. it's so stressful. Yeah. Um, the nice thing about stuff like the AFC is now if we can actually have an alternative option <laughs> it's kind of like the ACA and the ICA in the United, you know, in the United States. Yeah. Um, that's what you guys have created, which, which is great to grow. So again, any, any chiropractors listening to this in Ontario or in all across Canada for that fact, um, I would really highly recommend that you actually become a member of the AFC because they will actually stand up for you. And, and again, this has happened in, in the UK with the uh, United Chiropractic Association, um, with Melissa Stanford, she's, she's been running that, that over there. Um, they, they did the same thing because they had the association, which was the British Chiropractic Association, and they created the UCA. And eventually, they're all, I think they're almost at par with numbers with them, which is mm -hmm. great because it's starting to create that difference. So yep. we really want to change that. So what's the website for the AFC? Allianceforchiropractic.com. Allianceforchiropractic.com. So these are all the Canadians in there. Get in there and make sure you, uh, you yes. become a member. That would be awesome. Mm -hmm. So, so what are, what would you say, you know, we got, we have chiropractors in Canada, we have chiropractors in Australia, uh, New Zealand, all the way through the UK. You know, we, we, you know, we're, we're vitalistic slash neurologically based chiropractors. And a lot of us are just alone in our, in our practice and we want to do something, but a lot of times we feel isolated. What are some of the things that chiropractors out there can do to help to grow the, our brand of chiropractic so that the whole profession doesn't slip into an MSK abyss? That is a loaded question. <laughs> <laughs> well, I know our listeners, so I'm like, I'm sure that's fine. <laughs> yeah. uh, I think the one thing that I've heard commonly is, um, you know, chiropractors that are practicing busy families, um, you know, they're head down, they're, they're busy, they're in their practices, they're caring for their patients, they're... Uh, they're raising families, et cetera. And it usually doesn't come on their radar until some sort of a crisis emerges. Um, and, you know, we've been, we've been seeing and knowing of some of the changes that have been happening in chiropractic over the last number of years. And we've been um, really trying to get that message across that we need to make sure that people are aware that they are um, 
challenges have come or are coming and that we need to be aware and be involved and you know you can support um i think it was you that told me if you can't be in the room your money can mm-hmm. um so you know it's it's one of those things that um it it takes an organization of people and a group of members to be able to stand and say okay this isn't right like we're all for an inclusive type of chiropractic. It's just like I said before, I had the John Trianos and the Reggie Golds. And and I drew a, a Venn diagram that I presented at the Spring Con in, in uh, June here in at um, the Alliance for Chiropractic Spring Con in Toronto. And I basically said, like, you know, we've got some of the really hardcore MSK on the very far side, right? And on the other very far side, we've got some of the hate straits quotation marks um some of those we're just not going to reach some of those are going to be um just kind of going and doing their thing head down and they're never going to look up they're never going to realize what's going on in the in the greater whole right and that's okay Mm -hmm. but what we see is that there's a huge lot of us in the middle that yeah we do see msk patients in our practices i do Um, I see a lot of them, right? Mm -hmm. But I also see that the neurological effects of the MSK complaint or some of the other complaints start to improve when they start getting adjusted. Mm -hmm. So when we make a carefully uh, proper analysis and we apply a very specific chiropractic thrust, patients get better, whether it's their MSK complaint or maybe their non-MSK complaint. Now, I'm going to be fully in agreement that we should not be making huge outlandish efficacy claims of non-MSK improvements. And really for that matter, this, the research shows that we shouldn't be making very big outlandish claims for the MSK department either. Exactly. You know, it's, yeah. it's like the old saying goes, Chiro- uh, uh, chiropractic for low back pain is probably uh, the worst thing, but it's better than anything else. Um, so, you know, we, we, have a whole bunch of us in the middle that see patients from all across the ages. We may see kids, we may see grandparents, we may see weekend warriors, may see pro athletes, but all of us can understand and appreciate that a proper spine and nervous system is hugely important to human performance and health. I don't think anybody can disagree on that. And I don't think anybody else would disagree that we all put patients first. To say that you are vitalistic and you don't put patients first is it's it's offensive it really is because if we have to put the patients first that's why we got into this we all took an oath we all took uh, a a decision to enter into practice to care for patients i don't Mm -hmm. think anybody can really argue that the second one would be um that we get really good results. Like the satisfaction rates with chiropractors around the world have been phenomenal and it continues to be phenomenal. We patients love us. Like we have really good satisfaction rates on a very wide range of um, challenges that people come into our practices with, whether it be MSK and even some of those non MSK. Now, am I going to tell a patient that has asthma that I'm going to cure her asthma? No, because that's out of integrity with what I know to be true. I do know that a person with asthma deserves to have a proper spine and functioning nervous system. Whether that asthma gets better or not, I don't know. It's the same thing with the guy with the disc herniation. I don't know, but a proper functioning spine and nervous system sounds pretty important to me, don't you think? 
Um, and so we move forward as a patient doctor relationship. Um, so, you know, I would say to those that, um, I'm going to circle back. I got a little rant there. So the, if I, <laughs> I would go back to saying, um, get your head up, look around, make sure you know what's going on in your, in your province, your community, your country, your chiropractic. You know, I'm watching what's happening in Texas and I'm thinking, my gosh, like to be restricted in a very limited scope of practice, um, as I've always said, is that when you're MSK only, you're automatically exclusive to anything else. But when you are neurologically focused, you're inclusive and the MSK folks can come right on in. Totally, and- for everybody. Yeah, and, and it's cool if you want to just focus on MSK and you want to do, um, you know, if you want to do adjustments and you want to do some other adjunctive therapies, have at it. Like, do that. That's mm-hmm. totally fine with me. Um, but don't say that chiropractic is, is, is just MSK and automatically exclude everything else that it is because it's, um, you know, it, I can say it's disrespectful to the 760 men and women who got arrested for chiropractic. Mm-hmm. It's disrespectful for 123 years of the chiropractic changes that we've seen in people. Um, it doesn't serve us well to enter into a relationship with a patient and we tell them only a small fraction of what it is that we do instead of saying what's possible, but I don't know what that's going to end up for you. Um, I think patients can respect that. They can, they can understand that and reason with that. Um, don't exploit that relationship and don't try to manipulate situations because that goes back to rule number one is that um, you're, you're, you have to put the patient first. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, for those that are kind of getting their heads up and they're starting to see this and they're starting to realize that, yes, there is a, a room for us all to be in, uh, in this thing called chiropractic. Um, the other thing would be, you know, if you feel so inclined, getting involved with your, with your colleges, sit on council, um, become a director of, you know, whether it's uh, the AFC or not, um, get involved, see how you can help to move the profession forward. I think at this day and age and where we are in chiropractic, um, the time is now for us to realize the common ground that we have rather than trying to focus on the schism as some of our outside detractors would like to um, would like to say i mean i i I honestly don't see i don't see um, one camp or the other as a negative. I just think that if you're going by your philosophical belief systems um, you need to understand that we all agree that a proper spine and nervous system is essential to human performance and health. And again, from that, you can start to move forward with uh, um, chiropractic under a, under a bigger umbrella. That's awesome. And what me and Brandy always say is, is number one, grow your own practice. Like I, I tried to get involved yeah. in politics, uh, I think my second month in practice and at the present at the time, very good advice said, dude, go build your practice because you have to be able to look after yourself first. And sure. that's an easy way to get burned out when you can't even like pay the bills and you're trying to do yeah. politics at the same time. Second yeah. thing is, is just gather. So you can gather with like-minded chiropractors, create a mastermind. Mm-hmm. In town. Mm-hmm. That's a really good idea because again, we need to, we need to connect and communicate with our, with our tribe. 
And the other thing is, is organizing seminars. I was president of the Edmonton Carpac Society for seven years, and it was just a general, not very formal, but just a, just a general gathering where we just put on seminars and brought like great speakers in to just, you know, inspire the chiropractors of Edmonton. And so yep. I think anybody in their town can just put on a seminar and bring somebody in and gather like-minded people to get them inspired. And, and I think those are some of the easy steps you can just do to start help to help out with that neurological yep. Yeah, I would agree with all that. I did. Uh, I did that here in Ottawa. I ran an epoch for almost three years, um, and then uh, as I took on the directorship, I needed to put that aside. But um, yeah, it was a gathering for us. We opened up a Facebook page, and we all communicate with each, with each other. We know full well that if, let's say, a patient moves from one end of the city to the other, and we can, we know that the person that we're we're sending them to, we know them personally. We're able to uh, have a conversation on a professional level with them. Um, and have respect for maybe something that they do differently. We're able mm -hmm. to refer to each other and uh, direct that patient to the best available person that will serve them the best. So um, that was really the, the, the meeting of the minds in Ottawa is that we wanted to gather to be able to get to know each other personally and then the professionally that just goes hand in hand. So. That's great. Well, um, like I like to finish off all my podcast episodes with is, is you know, we have like a thousand chiropractors that will be listening to this podcast across the world. Um, you know, they might be just heading to work or a little bit frustrated. Um, what kind of um, parting words of wisdom would you like to leave underdog nation with today? Get really clear on what it is that you want. Um, sit down and really ask yourself, what do I have as a vision for my health and fitness, for my uh, vocational aptitude, for my parenting, for my um, uh, financial goals, my social goals, my, uh, sorry, my uh, intellectual goals? Like just really sit down and, and carve that out for yourself. And then ask yourself, where am I at with all of those now? And the difference is your gap. And your gap can be closed by a variety of different actions that you can start to take each and every day to make yourself moving forward towards that. But you can't start anywhere until you realize where you are and where you're trying to get to. So um, um, ask yourself, why do I want it? Like, it, as I was saying before, mm -hmm. one of the things that I asked myself was, you know, maybe I had a volume goal, for instance. That seems to be one of the carrots that chiropractors have. Um, I sat down and wrote out a hundred reasons why I wanted that goal. And it was... Um, <laughs> I think I got to about 30 and I realized I don't want that goal. I want something else. And so I started to re, you know, it was something that had just been ingrained into me from, from outside in. And uh, it wasn't something that I actually wanted. So um, just that exercise alone was enough to, to help me to understand that um, I had to reset my goals and rethink them. So that's awesome. I think that's perfect. And, uh, and I always think, why do you want what you say you want? And that, that would be the question. Why do you want mm -hmm. what you say you want? And yep. I think if you can figure that out, that's going to be awesome. Yep. Cool. So Craig, thanks so much for being on the podcast. I really appreciate you taking the time out of your busy schedule. No, thank you so much for having me. This is awesome. Okay. So everybody out there, why do you say what you want and why do you want to do that and get clear on what it is, write down your hundred lists of why, why that's important to you so that you're making sure you're not working your butt off for someone else's goal. And when you do that, you can get out there and crush the curse. Thank you for listening to the podcast. If you receive value from this episode, please take some time to rate and review us on iTunes 
or your favorite place to listen to podcasts. If you know a fellow chiropractor that could benefit from this message, please share it with them. Because it's my goal to provide you with great content, please contact me if you have any questions at drdonmcdonald.com or find me on Facebook. I look forward to hearing from you. So until next time, Dr. Don out.